Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. If you want to see the Statue of Liberty, you have to go to New York City. But if you just want to see a Statue of Liberty, you have options. If seeing a woman wearing a toga robe type thing and wearing a spiky hat while holding a torch aloft is your thing, you can see similar statues in Tokyo, Bordeaux, and the original model is in Paris. There's also a tomb in Guangzhou, China. It's a tomb for 72 rebels who led an uprising in the 1920s, and the Statue of Liberty stands guard over their burial place. Their friends and family perceived them as being freedom fighters, and thought America's symbol of immigration and freedom was an appropriate thing to put over their final resting place. Likewise, if you want to see a copy of the Eiffel Tower, you'll find one in Las Vegas. There's one in Romania. Lahore, Pakistan has its own Eiffel Tower. And, of course, there is an Eiffel Tower in Paris, Texas. Of all the Eiffel Towers in the world, though, I recommend Tokyo Tower. It's based on the Eiffel Tower, it's considerably larger, and you get an amazing view of one of the best cities in the world. The point is, once something becomes a monument, it will inevitably be replicated. Obviously, it will be replicated as merchandise. Monuments turn into t-shirts, they're on hats, they're on shot glasses, commemorative spoons, and magnets that you can put on your refrigerator. But, very often, world monuments are replicated on a monumental scale. Once something gets famous, somebody remakes it. There will be another version of it, whether it's at a Las Vegas casino, whether it is sculpted in snow or ice, whether it is somehow parodied by another building somewhere else, or turned into a piece of art, or, as we'll talk about today, turned into a memorial because of good intentions and bad history. And, of all of the monuments replicated throughout the world, probably the most common is Stonehenge. It is easy to see why. Stonehenge is recognizable, it's very well branded, and it's easy to duplicate. Take a few things that look vaguely rectangular, put them on top of each other, and there you go. It's henge time. You have just replicated the shape and form of a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Now, in this show, I am not going to talk too much about the actual real Stonehenge in England. That is a whole other kettle of worms. Uh, there are different theories about what it was, when it was made. There are like different versions and layers of Stonehenge. If you want to learn about Neolithic Britain, go listen to the British History Podcast. That is a topic that's actually really fascinating and is much bigger than just Stonehenge. That's just one small part of a bigger story. So go check that out. Jamie does a great job. I'm here to talk about the parodies, the knockoffs, and the copycats of Stonehenge that are too numerous to count. There are so many Stonehenges. In fact, when I was researching this episode, I was very amused to find a blog dedicated to Stonehenge replicas. The blog is called 
Clonehenge. They're still active. They're still posting because these things pop up all the time. And I will link to Clonehenge over at weirdhistorypodcast.com. Most of the Stonehenge replicas out there are temporary. We're talking about art installations. Things like making a Stonehenge out of hay. Put some hay bales up in a hen shape, you got yourself a Stonehenge. Or making an ice sculpture or a snow sculpture of Stonehenge. That happens all the time at the type of festivals where one makes sculptures of snow and or ice. Also, in more than one instance, people have done art installations of Stonehenge made out of phone booths. Given that no one really uses phone booths anymore, this seems like a, I guess, okay use of them. But I'm amused that the multiple phone booth-based Stonehenges have been called Phonehenge multiple times. There have also been multiple Stonehenges made out of foam, and on more than one occasion, somebody has happened upon the same pun and dubbed those Foamhenge. And, of course, there have been Stonehenges at Burning Man. Probably the most prominent Burning Man Stonehenge was in 2004. It was called Soulhenge, and it was made out of speakers. And I really hope those speakers were just blasting that Spinal Tap song over the playa. Because why would you make Stonehenge out of speakers and then not play the Spinal Tap song? It's right there. I hope they did it. But again, these are temporary Stonehenges. These are ice sculptures and Burning Man things and art installations. There are also lots of permanent pseudo-Stonehenges. For example... There is the kind of ambitiously and maybe presumptively titled Stonehenge 2. It's in Texas. Stonehenge 2, like many sequels, is not as good as the original. If you are familiar with the proportions of the original Stonehenge, you'll see Stonehenge 2 and notice that it looks just a little bit off. It is certainly rocks on top of rocks, but the shape and size of the rocks are not quite Stonehenge-y. But Stonehenge 2 is not the only Stonehenge 2. Plenty of other rocks-on-rocks rocks arranged in a circle are out there. And not just rocks. In 1987, a man in Nebraska built a Stonehenge replica out of cars. It's called, naturally, Carhenge. It looks amazing. I would love to see Carhenge in real life at some point. And I applaud projects like that. Thank you, Carhenge guy, for making the world just a little bit more peculiar. However, none of these Stonehenges I've mentioned so far truly replicate that thing in England. Because it's not just about having rocks on top of rocks, it's about having rocks on top of rocks set up in a specific manner. These Stonehenges are not astronomically aligned. Stonehenge wasn't just a monument, it was also, maybe, possibly, we don't know, a calendar of sorts. Again, I don't want to get into the weeds about the actual real function of the actual real Stonehenge. We don't know what people used it for. Maybe it was a calendar or a big sundial, or maybe it was a burial site. We can't say for sure. But given the alignment of the stones with the sun on the solstices, and the alignment of one of the central stones with the pole star, it was very likely some kind of ancient calendar sort of thing. But again, big ol' maybe, we can't say for sure. 
But my point is, is that if you really want your Stonehenge replica to be a quote unquote functional Stonehenge replica, you have to make the rocks or phone booths or cars or whatever it is you're using astronomically aligned with the summer and winter solstices. And quite a few replicas have gone that extra mile and made functional henges. Most of these stone henges that actually line up with the sun are on university campuses, and most of them are not terribly large. Plenty of them are half-scale or quarter-scale, and they look kind of neat, but it's kind of like a miniature Stonehenge or a fun-sized Stonehenge. But again, they actually line up with the sun, and that's pretty cool. One notable functional astronomical henge is in New Zealand. It's called Stonehenge Rotarioa, that is the Maori word for New Zealand, and it is obviously in the Southern Hemisphere. So, because it's in the Southern Hemisphere, that is dealing with different astronomical phenomena than what we have in the Northern Hemisphere. So, the academic team behind that Stonehenge made sure that that Stonehenge functioned in the Southern Hemisphere in kind of the same way that the English Stonehenge functions in the Northern Hemisphere. Earlier this year, I visited an astronomically aligned replica of Stonehenge. A big one that's about the same size as the original. This Stonehenge does not sit on a university campus. It wasn't built as an exercise in science or history, nor is it an art installation or a Burning Man thing or an ice sculpture. This Stonehenge is different from all of the other replicas because it was built as a memorial. It's called the Mary Hill Stonehenge. It sits just north of the Columbia River in Washington State on an isolated hill in the Columbia Gorge. The Mary Hill Stonehenge was originally commissioned in 1918. That is the final year of World War I, and it was built because of World War I. The henge was conceived and bankrolled by a guy called Sam Hill, and yes, that was his real name. He was an eccentric Pacific Northwest industrialist active in the early 1900s. He was also a Quaker and a pacifist, and he traveled to England in the first part of the 20th century. That's where he saw the original Stonehenge, and that's where he got some honestly not great or accurate ideas about it. At the time, one of the popular views about the original Stonehenge was that it was a site of human sacrifice, with victims dragged toward a large central stone that was called the Altar Stone, where they'd be tied up and butchered as an offering to the pre-Christian gods of ancient Britain. Historians and archaeologists today do not think that the original Stonehenge was used for human sacrifices. They still don't know definitively what it was for, but there's not good evidence suggesting that it was a site of grisly sacrifice and bloody ritual murder. And yet, that's the antiquated notion of history that Sam Hill from the Pacific Northwest heard when he was in England in the first part of the 20th century, that this thing out in Salisbury Plain was a place where people would get tied up, thrown on an altar, and then a vicious stone knife would be plunged through their heart, and the blood would run down to rock, and there would be much rejoicing and calling out to the dark gods of the shrouded Isle of Britain, which honestly is metal as heck, but again, not good history. Hill was something of an eccentric, and he had big ambitions for turning southern Washington state 
into an active, bustling community. Uh, that did not work out. Southern Washington State is lovely, and the Columbia Gorge is one of my favorite places on Earth, but it's not exactly bustling. Hill, though, upon hearing this erroneous story of the original Stonehenge, was inspired, and he drew a connection between the imagined sacrifice of imagined history to the current sacrifices in World War I. He looked at the war, and he thought it was needless. There was no reason for all that violence, and he couldn't believe that humans had made so little progress from the days of Stonehenge to the early 20th century. He thought, we've come so far, and yet we are still making unnecessary sacrifices to the god of war. So, for some reason, Hill decided that this site that he saw in a very negative light was something that he could make his own. He came home to Washington State and commissioned a replica of Stonehenge, or rather, a replica of Stonehenge as he believed it would have looked when all of the rocks were up and it was completely functional. He did make sure that it was astronomically aligned. The rocks do line up with the solstice. There is a rock that is right under the pole star, which is kind of cool. And he included the bit about sacrifice, kind of. Hill wanted the Stonehenge to be a memorial for the men of Klickitat County who died in World War I. So, that Stonehenge has something that the original doesn't. It has 14 names of soldiers from Washington State who died in the Great War, along with the year of their birth and the year of their death. These names make the Mary Hill Stonehenge stand out as more than just a knockoff. If you look at the dates of births and deaths, you can see that these men who died in World War I are young, very young. I saw very few that were over 25, and some of these dead men met their end before they even saw 20. I was a teacher in another life, and I couldn't help but think of the university students I taught, who were the same age as the dead memorialized at the Stonehenge replica. And the sincerity of the memorialization cut through my sense of pedantry. The Mary Hill Stonehenge is based on outdated notions of history. It's based on an inaccurate story about the original. And yet, the very real sense of mourning, of loss, and of grief as a reaction to the Great War can't really be waved away. As I mentioned before, there are 14 names of dead soldiers from Klickitat County, Washington, and once a year, each of those individual names is memorialized at the Mary Hill Stonehenge. This gives Washington State's Stonehenge something that other Stonehenge replicas don't have. More than just looking right, more than being astronomically aligned, it has ceremony. It has a kind of sanctity. The real Stonehenge probably had ceremonies of some kind at it. We can't be sure what kind. It still does. There are plenty of people who self-identify as neo-pagans who use the site for religious rituals. And while Stonehenge is old, neo-paganism is very much a modern invention, and contemporary religious rituals performed at the actual Stonehenge on solstices are of modern rather than ancient origin. Though I can't summon too much snobbery in the face of other people's 
enthusiasm and sincerity and desire to participate in something larger than themselves. Likewise, even though the Mary Hill Stonehenge is based on bad history, there's still something about the memorializing nature of it that makes it more than just one more replica, more than just a roadside attraction. Secular ceremonies may not necessarily sanctify the site in the way the old Stonehenge may or may not have been sanctified, but they do make it meaningful. That meaning isn't something you can replicate easily. You can put a pyramid in Las Vegas. You can put a sphinx in front of it. However, while that pyramid and sphinx may replicate the appearance of ancient monuments, it cannot summon the gravitas of the real things that you'd see in Egypt. Likewise, I've seen Tokyo's Statue of Liberty, and I can say with some confidence that it is merely a statue. It is not the same as seeing the actual Statue of Liberty that welcomed so many immigrants to the United States. You can put a monument on a t-shirt. You can put a monument on a commemorative spoon or a shot glass. You can remake the entire monument elsewhere on Earth, but you can't remake that sense of history or significance. The Mary Hill Stonehenge, though, does that a little bit. It's concrete. It looks fake up close. It's obviously a replica. It's based on bad history. But it's also more than just a roadside attraction. This podcast is supported by members like you. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a supporting member. And as a thank you, there is members-only content that you can access by doing that thing. So go do that thing. Go on Apple Podcasts, go on Stitcher, go on other podcast networks. Give us ratings and reviews. That helps other people discover the show. We're on social media. I am at Joe Streckett on Twitter. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and die.